This week I just felt, I couldn't get away from it yet. I just felt impressed. I've got one more thing I've got to share with you about Acts 29-11. Who we're going to be, how we're going to approach 2013. You know, and uh, as we, if we, we preach these things, you know, because hopefully you know by now, if you didn't know before, there's only 28 chapters in the book of Acts. So uh, Acts 29 is about what happened after that, and that's every church that's existed since then. And uh, we're still living that, so we're chapter 29, and we just picked verse 11 because that's us, 29-11. So uh, we're writing Acts 29-11. We're writing it by our actions because that's what that book is. It's not the writings of the apostles. It's the acts of the apostles. So I've got one last thing to share with you about that, uh, about this. And, and, uh, and let me give you just a little bit of a recap because I want to remind you of this is we've talked about the power. In 2013, we're going to need this power. You needed it in 2012, didn't you? Things aren't getting better, are they? You're going to need it in 2013. We're going to need it as a church in 2013. It's about mission. It's real easy to get uh, lose focus. It's real easy to, to hear the pastor say, we got 120-plus people attending here that we're not going to church anywhere before coming to 2911. Say, praise God, hallelujah, everything's wonderful, and just kind of settle back, you know, and, and we've got to stay on mission. Because there's another 127 out there. There's another 127 after them. There's another 127 after them. And we've got to stay on mission. And, and then we talked about communities. It's all about communities. It's all about how we reach our communities. This church has never been about this. This is awesome. This is wonderful. This is getting me pumped up so I can do it again. But this church is about that out there. It is about those 120 plus that didn't know Jesus, that, that weren't going to church anywhere before, before coming here. That, that's, that's what we're about. And then last, last week we talked about identity, really who we are about, and talked about a lot of those things. Today we're going to make this a little personal. I've got, I've got one last little thing for you, and you would think with what I've got to share with you today that I could probably do it in five minutes, but you know that's impossible, right? So I've got about 30 examples that I'm going to give you, 30 examples. So now you're thinking, I need to either go get another donut or uh, buckle up because this is going to go fast. I hope this goes fast. I'm planning on getting these to you in a really big hurry. I got 30 examples I want to share with you about one last little thing. And I was thinking, uh, I was thinking this week, I was man, building this and saying, man, my goodness, I'm going to be going so fast. I'm going really, to really, have to really go with this thing. And, and I was thinking about an old story I heard, heard many years ago about a, a, a minister that was invited to preach at, a, at another church. He went in, didn't know any of the people. He got up and he said, hey, today we're going to do a survey of the entire Old Testament. And so he jumped in, started preaching. About an hour later, he was halfway first through the first book, Genesis he was about chapter 25, you know, and, and uh, there Esau and Jacob are born. And so he, he, said, he says, uh, okay, now we got Jacob. He said, what are we going to do with Jacob? And the man on the back row gets up and starts walking out. He said, he can have my seat because I'm going home. I got to get in bed. You know, I was thinking about that. I thought, oh, no, let's not, let's not go that long with it or anything. So don't get nervous. But hang on here, okay? I got one thing to share with you, but I got a bunch of examples because I want you to see something today, okay? Father, I love you. I thank you, God, for uh, all these examples, Lord, that teach us something. And today I ask you to help us accept the challenge that you're calling us to. Help us, God, to step up and, and decide, make decisions, God, to be purposeful about who we are and, and what we are and who we say we are and how we, how we portray who we are. I pray in Jesus' name, God, I ask you, God, make us, not just the church you dream we would be, make every one of us the individuals, the men and the women of God that you dreamed we would be. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.
That was a little better than the first time the first service said it, but can you do better than they did? Everybody said, thank you very much. Okay, first example is Jesus. Got to start with Jesus, right? In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you've heard that verse every servant of this series. Jesus said, uh, you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, and when you're, when you're filled with this power, you're going to be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and basically he says the uttermost part of the earth, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth. He's saying, you're going to be my witnesses in every community in the world. Okay, so here's what's important about this, is Jesus is the visionary. Now, listen, if you go home and Google Jesus, names of Jesus, titles of Jesus, you're going to get lists and lists of all the things that the Bible says he is. But in the book of Acts, he is the visionary because Acts 1 and 8 says, he says, I've got the vision. And here's what it's going to be about. It's going to be about power. It's going to be about a mission that you have. It's going to be about getting into the communities of this world. This is what it is. And so Jesus lays out the vision because he is the visionary, and it's all about him. And then, then let's look at Matthias. Okay, so this is going to go really quick because I just spent that little bit of time on Jesus, right? So, okay, so Matthias. Let's talk about Matthias here. Now, because Judas had hung himself, I mean, he messed up, and he, instead of trying to fix things and put his life back together and get right with God, he just hung himself, you know, took, it, you know, uh, took that way out, and so now they had a hole there, and so they had to fill this hole. And so here's what they did is uh, Simon Peter got up and said, guys, we got to fill this hole, and we need to find somebody that has been with us all this time and knows, you know, we don't need to bring somebody in and teach them. We need somebody that's been with us all this time. And so they had two that, that were proposed, and they drew names. They prayed about it. They drew names to choose an apostle, Acts 126, and Matthias was chosen and joined the 11 apostles. Okay, so they found two, and Matthias was chosen. Now here's the thing about Matthias is he was prepared. You see, because what they needed is they needed somebody that had been hanging out with them all the time anyway, that had been studying and hearing Jesus and seeing the teaching. Because a lot of times we think about those 12 were the only 12 that were around him. But he had other disciples. You remember he sent out the 70. He had other disciples. But he had, he had this guy, Matthias, and another that had been so close to him that they said, you know, he could take Judas's place. He, he's been so close. So, so look, listen to what's going on here is he had no promise of ever being a disciple. The thought never even entered his head. Nobody had ever said anything about one of these, if, you know, he, you know, it wasn't like the Miss America pageant, if for any reason she should fail to fulfill, you know, da-da-da-da. You know, nobody ever said anything like that. And so he had no idea he would ever have the opportunity to be a disciple, but he was prepared anyway. Oh, my goodness, somebody needs to get a hold of that. You might, you might not yet know what the calling is for your life, but you need to be prepared Anyway, and then there was uh, Simon Peter. Now, Simon Peter was a whole lot of things, and I know we know more about him than just the book of Acts tells us. But the thing I see about Simon Peter in the book of Acts is the same thing I see about him in every other, in every other part of the Bible. And uh, in Acts chapter 2, remember when the Holy Spirit was poured out and, and uh, people were speaking in tongues and other people were seeing them and they were so elated, you know, and other people were watching them and some of them thought, oh, they're drunk, you know. And, and so Simon Peter, he steps up, this huge crowd in the city streets, he steps up and preaches a sermon. He says, uh, he stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. And we don't have time to read his whole sermon. His sermon is listed there. He goes back to the book of Joel. He talks about things that happened in the Old Testament. He talks about the prophets. And he says, this is what we've been waiting on. This Jesus that you crucified, he's the one. And 3,000 souls get saved. I mean, you know, what we see about Simon Peter, once again, is he is passionate. I mean, he is a passionate guy. I mean, sometimes his passion even got him in trouble. You know, you remember those times when he was with Jesus and sometimes the passion got him in trouble? And, and, and you know, here's the thing. is whatever it is that drives you and who you really, really are, if you don't keep it channeled, 
You know, sometimes it might get you in trouble. That doesn't mean that the who you are and who God made you is bad. The passion wasn't bad. But when Simon Peter let the passion get outside of the will of God, it got him in trouble. And so who you are is a good thing, but you just got to make sure that channel's under the will and the direction of God. And then there was this lame man that was, uh, every day they carried him and laid him at the gate called Beautiful. And Peter and John one day were walking uh, toward the temple. They were going to the temple to pray. And when, when the, they walked by this man, you know, he was asking alms. And Peter and John said, hey, look at us. And uh, so the word says, so the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. I like the NIV that says, uh, expecting to get something. Uh, other versions say he was expecting to get alms. And, and I'm not, you know, a Greek scholar, so I can't really tell you exactly what he was saying here. But I like this thought that he was expecting something. Everybody else was walking by and trying to not make eye contact. Don't you do that when you see somebody holding a sign, we'll, not, we'll work for food. You try to, you know, you just sit in your car. You try not to even make eye contact with them. That's the way everybody was doing him. But then, but then Peter and John, they said, look at us. And so you know what he did? He said, mm, I'm about to get something. He was expectant. Oh man, that's important. That's where some of you are missing it in your lives, is you're not expecting anything to be different this next week than it was last week, because you're not expecting God to show up. You're not expecting anything to change. He was expecting, and that's why he got a miracle, and he received his miracle. He received his healing that day, and he went running and leaping and jumping and shouting into the temple because he was expectant. Okay, and then I think it was Joseph, Joseph of Cyprus. Uh, you probably don't know him, do you? And that's why I put of Cyprus, so you would know this is a different Joseph than the others you probably know. Acts 4, verse 36, 37, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who the apostles called Barnabas. They said, Joseph, and we will call you Barnabas, because Barnabas means sons of encouragement. He sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Two verses, that's all we know about this guy, two verses. But you know what we find out? He was a giving man. He was a giving man. He went and sold a piece of property, and he brought it in, and he gave it to the apostles so that they could take care of the poor that the church was reaching out to and ministering to. And you know what? All of us, we have stuff like that that we give. And I, I know somebody said, man, that'd be awesome to be able to, if I just had a piece of property I didn't need, I could go sell it, whatever. No, 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 that, that, that's not what, what we're talking about. Is he, he gave something that was his. You know, I, I remember that story. Uh, uh, from years ago, and this was this is an old old story. It's about way back in the day, you know, uh, back before my day of preaching. His old story's been told over and over about the preacher that went to a man's house and he said, "Hey, uh, if you had a thousand dollars, you love the Lord, don't you?" And he said, "Yes. If you had a thousand dollars, would you give five hundred of it to God?" He said, "Well, you know, I would, preacher. If God needed, I'd give that five. He said, "Well, if you had two cars." And see, this is back a few years ago, right? If you had two cars, because most of you got two cars at your house. He said, if you had two cars, would you give one of them to God? He said, preacher, you know, if God needed those, one of those cars, I'd give him one of those cars if I had two. And he said, well, if you had two hogs, would you give one to God? And he said, now, preacher, you know I got two hogs. You know, I mean, in theory, it really sounds good to give something that we don't really have, right? If I had a million dollars, you know, oh yeah, I could do it. But then we get to a place when God says, I need to use that that you have in your hand. All of a sudden, so well, now, wait a minute, God, you know I got one of those. And so it's sometimes in theory, but listen, here's a, and it's not just about money. It's not just about possessions, but every one of you. It's one of our basic tenets of who we are as 2911. Everyone has something awesome to do for Jesus Christ. You have something in you that you need to give. I can't spend that much time right here. Ananias and Sapphira. This was right after that story, the very next chapter. It's right after it. Same thing happens, but a little twist on it. Five, uh, chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, 
also sold a piece of property. Just like Joseph uh, did, they also sold a piece of property. And with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Nothing wrong with that. The property was his in the first place. He didn't have to sell it. And once he sold it, he could have kept some of the money. It was his in the first place and just given part of it. The problem was he went to church and he told everybody that they sold it for this amount and they brought the whole amount to the church. They didn't tell him, no, we sold it for this amount. They didn't have to say that. I mean, they could have just said, hey, we've, we've sold some stuff and we just got some money we want to give from some of that. But they lied. They were pretenders. They weren't givers. They weren't, they weren't any of these other things that are good. They were pretenders. And, and they were the ones who, who, didn't, who didn't do it out of their heart, but they just did it with their hands. You know, a lot of times we talk about, you know, we, we, we don't really just want to clean up the outside, clean up the inside. Because you can do things with your hands and it not be a part of you and it still not please God. But you get the inside right, your hands are going to start doing the right thing. You get the inside right, your feet are going to start walking right. You get the inside right, your mouth's going to start talking right. They didn't have the inside right. They tried to do it with their hands. They were pretenders. They showed up at church. They acted like it, but they were pretenders. And that's, that's what we got of them and who they are. Then Gamaliel, probably don't know this man's name. Uh, the disciples were called into the Sanhedrin court because they'd been preaching about Jesus. They were mad at him. And they, you know, they, were, they were saying, they, they actually told him not to preach it anymore. And then the next day they found him, they were preaching that way. They brought him back in. We told you not to preach Jesus anymore. And they said, well, you're going to have to decide whether it's better to obey man or God, but we can't help but preach this and tell all these things that have happened to us. And they were all mad. And so Gamaliel, he stands up. He's one of them. He's not one of the disciples. He's one of just the guys. And he said, he said hey, let them go out in the hall for just a minute. Let's talk. So they sent the disciples out in the hall. And so he stands there talking to the Sanhedrin, and he says this. He says, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. He was very pragmatic. You know, just kind of like, hey, listen, don't even worry about it, guys. If it's God, you can't fight him. You're going to lose anyway. If it's not God, leave him alone. They're going to fall flat on their face and look like a bunch of fools in a few days anyway. So he was just pragmatic about it. And that's the way a lot of people are today. They're just pragmatic. There's no God in them. It's just like, well, if it works, it works. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I mean, they, they do the whole church thing. I mean, this guy was doing the church thing. Well, of course, it was the Old Testament church. It was the Sanhedrin court. It was the Jewish law and all that. But doing the whole church thing without the ability to, to really see into the spirit realm and say, wait a minute, let's see what God is going to do here. He was very pragmatic. And that's, that's the label I'd give him. That's the thing I would say about him. Uh, then there's Stephen. You remember Stephen? Uh, I could tell you several things about him. But let me tell you this part. Is that Stephen was preaching a sermon, uh, and, and they were calling him on the carpet. They said, no, 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 wait a minute. Oh, this Jesus thing. He said, no, let me tell you. He preached a sermon. He just made, got a madder and madder. They just kept getting mad and angry at him. And, and then, then they, uh, they took him outside the city, and they began to stone him. And all this time, they, they got madder at him, and he just kept preaching Jesus. They took him outside the city to stone him, and he kept preaching Jesus. And while they were stoning him, Jesus prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. Okay, he didn't go to sleep. He died. They killed him by stoning him, throwing rocks at him until they had beat him to death with these rocks. And the whole time, you know what he did? He just stayed constant. He was un 
compromising. There was nothing. There was, it, it, it didn't matter that, you know, that girlfriend that he, that he liked when he was in high school, you know, that she was in the crowd and she was seeing how, how they were treating him. He didn't care. It didn't matter that his best friends were there. It didn't matter that his parents didn't understand. He was uncompromising. When they child, he didn't say, no, wait, wait, guys, if you'll quit throwing rocks, I won't preach Jesus anymore. I'll renounce him. No, he was uncompromising compromising. And that's what we know and we've learned about him. Uh, then uh, uh, Simon Magus. Simon was a sorcerer of sorts. He, he uh, dealt in the black magic, black arts and that kind of stuff. You know? And so one day, he sees the disciples laying hands on others and praying for them and they received the Spirit. And when Simon saw the Spirit was given at the laying hand of the apostles, he offered them money and said, hey, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. He was a fraud. And there were stories, uh, they're not in the Bible, but there are stories told about him afterwards that he actually started churches based on fraudulent things as well. And my goodness, my mind uh, kind of just rolls thinking about a whole lot of stuff that we've seen in our day and age uh, about being a fraud. Again, just like Ananias and Sapphira were frauds in the physical, he was a fraud in the spiritual. He tried to act as if he had a power, but he didn't really have the power. And then there's uh, Philip. Uh, Philip, uh, several stories I could tell you about Philip. Let me tell you this one. Uh, Philip was told by God, go over to this chariot. He gets over to a chariot, and the man sitting in the chariot is reading Isaiah. You know, he got his scroll open, he's reading Isaiah. And so Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? Philip was eager. I mean, he, just, he, heard, he heard the guy reading Isaiah, and he said, man, this is my opportunity. Because he is reading Isaiah, the prophecies about Jesus Christ that he doesn't even know. And I can, I can tell him who he is. Hey, do you know? And the guy, the guy says, no, come up in the chariot and explain Isaiah to me. And he crawled up in the chariot, and he said, hey, the, the one you're reading about, that this is prophesying is coming. He's already come. He's lived. They crucified him. He rose from de the dead on the third day. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he led this Ethiopian official to know Jesus Christ because he was eager. And if you read the, the rest of the stories about Philip, that's what you'll find about him. Man, he's eager. He's running. He is jumping. He has gone here and he's gone there. But this Ethiopian official, he is the next guy. I'll tell you what he did when, when, when Philip explained to him, he said, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? He was willing. That, that, that's what I know about this guy. He was willing. Man, he's reading, he's reading Isaiah, and he, and he doesn't really understand it. And here comes a guy who says, I can explain that to you. He said, get up here in the chariot with me. And then he explains to him, and he, get, you know, he gets excited. He receives Jesus as a Savior, and he says, wait a minute. Here's, here's, here's some water. I'm ready to be baptized. Can I be baptized? He was willing to move right then. He didn't have to be talked into it. He was willing to do whatever needed to be done for his life to be right with God. And then there's uh, Tabitha Dorcas, uh, uh, and, and she was, she was uh, one of the disciples. She was called a disciple, and there are not a lot of ladies called disciples. She was from Joppa. And uh, her name was Tabitha, which when translated is Dorcas, into the Greek it's Dorcas. And she, she was always doing good and helping the poor. Always doing good and helping the poor. Always. Not just when a tornado blows through, go into your closet and find the worst stuff you've got in your closet and take it over to people that don't have anything. But instead of, instead of finding some old stuff to give to somebody in need, it is finding a need and finding some way to minister to that need. You know, I got a friend who grew up as a pastor's kid, and he said, we always got everybody's hand-me-downs. Instead, if people didn't have to go to the dump, they could just leave it on our front doorstep. And they'd know that we'd probably take it in and try to use it if we could. He said, that's the way life was back when he was a kid. I mean, this was many years ago, older than me. You know, he said, that's, that's the way we always got everybody's hand-me-downs. And that's the way a lot of people treat. And that's, that's not what this lady, this lady was compassionate. 
And compassion is, is about finding a need and feeling it and not going into your leftovers but going into who you are and feeling it. And this lady was so full of compassion that she died. And when she died, the church, they, they were all praying like, oh my goodness, we can't lose her. She, she is ministering to so many people. She's helping us reach so many people. And so they called everybody else. Said, you got you to help us pray. They sent word. So you got to help us pray. They, they sent word to the disciples. And Simon Peter came and prayed over her. And God raised her back to life. She was so compassionate that the church said, we can't afford to lose her. Man, that'd be something, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it, be a, wouldn't it be something if you passed away this afternoon and the church said, we can't afford to live? Would the church say that about you? I mean, would the, I, don't, I don't know the church would say that about me. Would the church say, we can't afford to lose them. We got, we got to pray and have God raise them back to life. That's who this woman was because she was so compassionate. And then there was Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile. He was not a Jew, but he was a believer. He trusted God. He did right things. And he, he was constantly studying and reading, reading the Word and, and seeking God. And one day an angel showed up and the angel said, your prayers and your acts of charity have come up as a memorial offering before God. He was remarkable. Okay? Because his charity, his acts, his goodness, his deeds, his works, and his prayers, and the things he asked God for, they rose up before God as a memorial. He was a remarkable man that he, anybody ever had an angel visit him? Maybe one or two of you or whatever. But you know what? Not many of us have ever seen an angel. I didn't see any hands go up, so I don't know if any of them. But you know what? He had an angel. That's pretty remarkable to me, but that's not the important thing. He was remarkable to God. God sent an angel to say, you're remarkable. What you're doing, I have noted what you are doing. He was a remarkable man to God. That's an amazing thing. And then Herod Agrippa won. Okay, got two Herod Agrippas in this list. Today. Herod Agrippa won. Now, here's what happened to him one day. And we'll just jump into the scripture. It said he was wearing his royal robes. He sat on his throne and he delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. And immediately because Herod did not give praise to God, but let them say that, that he was a God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. He was an egotist. I mean, that's who he was. Oh man, couldn't you just see him sitting there just when they started saying that? Man, that smile just coming over his face and yes, yes, I'm a God. Yes, can't you just see that? And all those people, picture this. I mean, all these people, they're out there and he's, he's, he's orating and he's got them all, you know, just hyped up and super, you know, ready, just ready to go. And, and they're saying, oh, you sound like a God. You, you don't sound like a man. This is wonderful. And all of a sudden he is struck dead and he's eaten by worms. And they go from shouting his praises to throwing up right there in his presence because he's being eaten by worms right there in front of him. He was an egotist. That's what, that's what we leave him as he's known of. And then Saul and Paul got two verses for you. Both in the same chapter. Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. The next few verses tell us that he goes and he gets warrants of arrest for anybody who is preaching Jesus and following the Christian way, this new walk, that he can, he can have them arrested and take them, take them to jail. But on his way to Damascus to do this, he has an encounter with God and he meets Jesus Christ. And in verse 20, after, after, after he, he accepts Jesus, verse 20 says, 19 verses later, his story is told that quick, 19 verses later says, at once or immediately is what it means, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. You may tell you what happened between verses 1 and 20. Transformation happened in the life of Saul. All of a sudden now, he is preaching exactly 
exactly what he was arresting people for. He is doing what he used to call a crime. He has had a transformation greater than going from being a Democrat to a Republican, greater than going from being an Auburn fan to an Alabama fan or the other way around. He has had a true transformation that he is now preaching the name that he used to arrest people for. Transformation happened in his life. And that's what you see about him from the rest of the, from the, rest of the time. It is as if he is almost apologizing for who he used to be and, and now I am who God has made me. Uh, and then there's Ananias of Damascus, the one that God sent him to. Because when he had this, when, when, when Saul had this, Saul, whose name was changed to Paul, when he had this transformation on the road to Damascus, God blinded him so that he would need somebody. And so God sent him to a, a house on Straight Street. And then God spoke to Ananias, a Christian believer. Ananias was probably, because he lived in Damascus, he was probably one of those that Saul was on his way to arrest. But God said, Ananias, I want you to go over to the such and such house on Straight Street and I want you to pray for Saul. And, and, and Ananias at first said, no, wait a minute, God. Uh, isn't this the guy that was coming to arrest me? Isn't this the guy who has been hauling us off and throwing us in prison? You know, are you sure about that? And God says, yes, I'm sure. And look, what I want you to see what Ananias did. The, the, the one who had on his way to arrest him. Look what Ananias did. Ananias went to the house, entered it, placing his hands on Saul. Now, if you could place your hands on Saul, probably if it had been happening to you, you'd be placing your hands on Saul, something like this, right? I mean, because he was coming to arrest me and my family. He has thrown us in jail. But that's not what he did. He placed his hands on Saul and look what he called him. He said, Brother Saul. All of a sudden, that quick. The transformation happened with God that quick. But you look at this man, this man who knew he knew that this was going to happen. He knew that Saul was coming to do this, and he could so quickly and easily forgive and accept that God had changed this man. And so the, 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 the word I put there, it could have been a bunch of words, but I put the word merciful there. That he, he was merciful in that he was that quick and that willing to call him Brother Saul. And he prayed for him, and his, his sight came back as if scales just fell from his eyes. And he received his sight back, and he began to be discipled, and he immediately, verse 20, began to preach Jesus Christ in the synagogues. Wow, amazing thing. Uh, and then there's Eunice. See, I could have told you about Timothy. Y'all know Timothy. But, and even though Timothy's got two books of the Bible named after him in the New Testament, they were, they were written by Paul to Timothy. And so by reading those, we find out that Timothy was involved in a lot of leadership. He was a pastor. He was kind of like an overseer, and he was ministering and ministering to people. We know that, but in the book of Acts, about all we see Timothy doing is hanging out. I mean, it says Paul and Timothy went so-and-so. Paul and Timothy showed up. Paul and Timothy, Paul and Timothy. We don't really see him doing anything. So in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, verse 1, really is not about Timothy. It's about Timothy's mom. Her name was Eunice, by the way. We find that out in, in the book of Timothy. It says, Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. Eunice, Timothy's mother, is the important one here. Because we don't find out a whole lot about Timothy yet until we start reading the books of Timothy. And then we find out he was an amazing leader in the early church. He was, he was an important person in the life of Saul. He was a pastor that God was using and that Paul was instructing and he was leading. And how did he get that way? Because of his mother. Eunice was a spiritual matriarch. And look, I want you to see something. Some of you ladies... You don't have, a, you don't have a, a, a husband helping you with this. Maybe because you're divorced or because you're a widow or, or because, uh, because you've got a husband, but he's not a Christian. I want you to see this, that Timothy's dad, it said he was a Greek. From everything we see, he was not a Christian, not a believer. And even if he was, he was not much of one because we, we, we see Eunice, 
Timothy's mom and also Timothy's grandmother being praised for raising Timothy right. We don't see anything about Timothy's dad except that he was Greek. You know what that tells me, ladies? That tells me even if you don't have any help, you can still raise up men and women of God as your children to know Him and love you. You can still do it even if you don't have any help, so don't give up. But the other side of this is the Philippian jailer. Paul and Silas, they get themselves thrown in jail one night because uh, they've been preaching Jesus and, and, and they're, they're, they're uh, having church. They just start singing. About midnight, they just start singing. They're having church. And I've kind of likened it this way. You know, the word, the word of God says that the earth is God's footstool, so He's got His feet resting on the earth. And, you know, they began singing and worshiping. And God enjoys our worship. You know that? God enjoys your worship. And as they began singing and worshiping, God just kind of started patting His foot, you know, and the earth is His footstool. And it caused a big earth quake and the, and the prison doors were shaken and they fell down and everybody's chains fell off and, and the, the jailer he, he wakes up and he's like oh man the prison doors open they probably all fled oh man that's going to be horrible he draws his sword he's ready to run himself through and Paul says don't do it we're all still here and he tells him about Jesus real quick and, and the word says the jailer brought Paul and Silas into his house took them home with him set a meal before them and he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God he and his whole family from that from that uh, from, from birth to that point on, there had never been a time, nothing that we know about this Philippian jailer, that he had ever served God, ever known about Jesus, anything good about him. But you know what I see right here? He became a spiritual patriarch in just a moment. And he led his entire family to know Jesus Christ. He brought them home. He brought the Word home. He brought salvation home. Listen, guys, let me tell you a great example here, a great testament here, is no matter how bad it's been in the past. No matter how bad you messed up, you may not have ever been to church in your life until today, but you can turn it all around in an instant. He turned it all around and led his whole family to know Jesus Christ in an instant and became a spiritual patriarch. And no matter how bad you've been in the past, you can be a spiritual patriarch to your family. And then there's Christmas. I read, I read to you about Christmas uh, a couple of weeks ago. And, and Christmas was the, the ruler of the synagogue. Remember when Paul, he was preaching in the synagogue, he was preaching Jesus, Jews got mad at him, and they began to verbally attack him and then abuse him. And Paul shook out his, he kind of like shaking out his lap. He said, away from here. And he went next door to somebody's house. Guess who followed him? The ruler of the synagogue, Crispus, followed him. And Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord. What I see, he was a man of conviction. He stood there and he heard them, the Jews in the synagogue, he heard them attack, uh, attack Paul. And when Paul went next door to another place, he followed him over there to find. And he didn't care. He didn't care what the Jews said about him. He didn't care what, what uh, the people in the synagogue. He was the synagogue ruler and he didn't care. He was a man of conviction and he stood for what he believed in. And then there was uh, Apollos and, and uh, our verses here, and I won't read them all to you, but he was a young man that, that preached with a lot of boldness. He even refuted some of the teachings of the Jews. He said, no, 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 this Jesus is the one you've been looking for and you just missed him. And so he was a man, he was a bold man. And, and, uh, and then the, the Word of God tells us that, that, that uh, he was also taken in by uh, Aquila and, and Priscilla. Let's go to our, verse, uh, our verses there. And it says, he began to speak boldly, talking about Apollos. And when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. He was a young man that had a lot of passion and boldness, but he needed some understanding about, uh, about the Word so he could preach even better. And Aquila and Priscilla said, 
come to our house for a little bit. You know, have you ever heard somebody preach one of their first sermons? You know, if you don't know what that's like, ask, ask my wife, okay, because she can tell you about mine. You know, hopefully they're a whole lot better than they used to be. I remember riding home one night uh, after I'd preached and preached, you know, and sometimes you're just looking for a place to quit. You know, I, you know, just uh, if I find somewhere to land this plane, I'm going to land it, you know, or whatever. And I, on, on the way home, it's dark in the car, and I, just, I, I didn't look over at Dave. I just said, sometimes when I'm preaching, I just don't think I'll ever get finished. David said, sometimes I don't think so either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, but you ever heard anybody like really just getting started in ministry and, oh, man, you just think, oh, I hate that for him. Oh, you know, maybe, you know, maybe he'll figure it out. I hope he gets better, you know, and I hope he, you know, if you know that, if you have enough understanding to see that and sense that and know that, guess what? You need to call that young man or young lady and say, let's go have coffee. You need to go be a mentor to that young man or young woman. If you have enough sense of spirituality and scriptural things to know that that person needs help, then you need to help them. And that's what they did. Is they said, hey, come to our house and have coffee. And they taught him the way of God uh, more eloquently. And then we've got the seven sons of Sceva. You know, here's what was happening. Paul and, and the, uh, uh, all the apostles, they were running around casting demons out of people. And then some people thought, I can do that. You know, might, maybe even get paid for it. And so they started doing it. And these seven sons, these seven brothers of a man named Sceva, they did it. And they, they were trying to cast a demon out of this guy. And they said, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, we cast you out. And the, guy, the demons inside the guy said, now, I know who Jesus is, and I've heard of Paul, but I don't know who you are. And it, so it says, then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, all seven of them, and overpowered them all, and he gave them such a beating they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Now, I remember hearing Jeff Foxworthy talk about the difference in naked and naked. You know, I don't really know if this is naked or naked, but they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. They were humiliated. You know what their legacy is? When I think of these men, I think of them being foolish, I think of them being pretenders, I think of them being a fraud. I think of them being humiliated. They ran out of the house naked and bloody. They walked in thinking they had power, and they walked out humiliated. Come on, consider. Think about where we could end up being. And then there's Eutychus. Remember Eutychus? Uh, kind of, uh, he was in the little video last week, you know, just real quick. Eutychus was a guy that was detached, is what I'm going to say. Acts 20, verse 9. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. And on, and on. Y'all don't know about that, do you? And, uh, and uh, when, he was, when he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. But then Paul went down and prayed over him and, and raised him back to life. Now, let, let me tell you something. One of the reasons Paul did this is Paul was about to leave and didn't know if he'd ever see these people ever again. And so he just kept saying, there's one more thing I need to share with you. I'm leaving. I won't see you again. There's one more thing I need to share with you. And that's why everybody hung around, except for Eutychus. Eutychus... He was detached. He's like the guy that gets lost 15 minutes into the sermon because this ain't about me. You know, this ain't helping me a bit. I'm not connecting. I'm, not deta I'm detached. You have people like that in church. They're here, but they're detached. They're not involved in what's going on. I mean, the words are floating around. They come in their ears and out, but nothing is happening. They are detached. And you know what? They're in the same kind of danger as Eutychus was. Not losing physical life, hopefully, but maybe spiritual life. Losing that because... They're detached. And then there was uh, uh, Felix, the governor, who Paul had to go present himself to and, and argue his case. And it says, as Paul discourse on righteousness and self-control and the judgment that was coming, Felix, the governor, was afraid and said, that's enough, Paul, that's enough for now. You may leave. And when I find it convenient, I will send for you. He was a procrastinator because guess what? He never found it convenient to call Paul back. 
and say, tell me more about this Jesus. He said, no, 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 I, I can't hear any more of this. You know why? Because he was not living righteous. You know, he was, not, he was not doing the things. And so when Paul was talking about it, he said, well, I can't hear any more of this. I'll talk to you at a more convenient time. He procrastinated and said, I'll find a better time to make myself right with God. I'll find a better time to develop the right legacy, the legacy that I'm supposed to have. And then there was Herod Agrippa II, who was the son of the guy who got eaten by worms, okay? And so after Paul shared his story with Felix, he had to go over to Herod Agrippa II. And uh, he... he uh, he kind of preached to Herod Agrippa, and Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could scratch out the word almost? You persuade me to become a Christian. But he said almost. He was indecisive. Isn't it going to be a sad thing for the people who sat in church, sat in church, sat in church, sat in church, prayed and prayed and prayed, but they never could really completely fully decide if I'm just going to give it all to God? Isn't it going to be a horrible thing? to get to the end of the life and realize that because I was indecisive, I really didn't have anything with God. You see, there's my examples. And here, here's the thing. You know, when you first meet someone, what's the first thing you learn about someone normally? What? You said it. Their name, right? I mean, that's the first thing. you, And it's, it's probably the most unimportant thing about them. I mean, the name doesn't really mean anything. It's just what you call them to dinner with, right? I mean, that's all it is. It's just a name. You say, well, yeah, but that's, it's like you say David in this church, you know, or Michael in this church, and three or four people are going to say, yeah, what do you need? I mean, you know, even the name, you know, is, uh, you say, well, it's, it's special. Well, no, it's not really, is it? You know, it's just like Justin. Y'all know, hey, Justin. Y'all know Justin? Now, imagine somebody comes in, and they see Justin, and they say, hey, tell me about that guy up there. And you say, oh, his name's Justin. Is that all you're going to say? Did that tell them anything about who this young man is? Oh, come on now. You know, if I'm going to talk about Justin, I guess let me tell you, when he gets to church or when he's out in the community or when he starts talking to you about the Bible, I mean, there's a lot of things I want to share with you that have anything to do with what his name is. It is the least important thing you probably know about Justin. Because you know what? Our names just kind of fade into the background behind who we become, who you are, who I am, how people know us. These words are really the legacy that we leave behind. Not our name. Not our name. And, you know, I think a lot of times we think about people we've pastored before, and we'll think about something about them. Say, oh, you remember that lady that did so, so, so? I can't remember her name. Her name's not what sticks with me. Who she was. What she did. You say, oh, she's probably offended. You don't know her name. Listen, if you forget my name, but you remember that I did something important in your life, I somehow had influence or impact in your life, that means a whole lot more to me than you ever remembering my name. My name will not matter when I die. My legacy will matter. Stand with me. Come to the front, if you will. Let's close. If this is your first time with us, we like to close around front the final song and prayer and we just come and do it up front just so we're all together so if you will come join us got one last little thing to share with you as usual I want to drive this home this little point that I've given you 28 29 examples some of those were double you know Ananias and Sapphira so Timothy and Eunice maybe 
there's one more character in Acts that I want to put up there, okay? But they're not in the first 28 chapters. They're in chapter 29. Any idea who it is? You. One more character. You. Write your name up there. And you know what's not yet finished? Is the who you are and how people... So let me ask you three questions here. The first. If right now someone were to ask, tell me about that person. What? If, if, if someone were to poll all of your close friends and family, what would be the word people would use to describe you? If they, if, if they went back 10 years, maybe into, into junior high school or high school or wherever you were at then, or maybe longer for those of you who were older, if they went back 10, 20 years, maybe before you were living for God, and they ask, what would they say? They would ask, what would they say? What would they say was who you are? Oh, man, I'd hate for them to ask them because I did some bad things back in those days. Have you seen those people since? You hurt any of them? You do, do them any wrong? Have you straightened things out with your life, but you've not said, hey, I, you know, I, I didn't treat you very good? Or, I mean, have you not dealt with some of that? Because here's a more important question is when you die, what do you hope that people will remember about you? If the pastor gets up to preach your funeral, says, I, I, I need a few more thoughts, and they call your best friend, they say, tell me about them. What do you hope they will say? What word do you hope goes right there over you? Uh, not pretender, right? Not um, egotist, right? not humiliated, detached. What word do you hope goes there? Here's the awesome and amazing thing. This may sound like a really tough, mean, step-on-your-toes point right here, this point of the whole message. This is what the whole thing was about. It's right here. But it's awesome because today there's still life. No matter what yesterday looked like, you've got today and you've got tomorrow. That word has not been written yet. It's being formed and if it's being formed in the wrong way, you've still got time to change it. You've still got today. And you've still got tomorrow. So what do you want it to be? When you're gone, what do you want that word to look like? I said that was more important than the first question, but the third is the most important. What do you hope God will remember about you when you stand before Him? Which of those words, or maybe your own, is the one word you hope God uses to describe you? And you can change. You can change that. You have time to change that. If Saul could be transformed in 19 verses, you can too. If a Philippian jailer can be changed and become a spiritual patriarch for his family in a moment, you can too. Bow with me. Jamie's going to lead us in a final song. Don't start singing. You finish praying.